Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. One of the things we love to do is share testimonies, and so we have a place you can go ahead and go online and, and register your testimony. So if God's doing something in your life, we want to hear about it because it encourages our faith, okay? So thank you, Jessica Domus, for volunteering to, or donating this uh, testimony to share it with us. And I'm going to go ahead and read it. She says, as I was growing up, my, uh, my mother often took us to church. I knew God, but I, I did, I, uh, sorry, I knew of God, uh, but did not have a personal relationship with him. He seemed distant. I could not hear his voice clearly. Unfortunately, I ended up getting hurt in the church. The next few years, I developed my own way of doing things. I went to church when times were tough and fell away when things were going well. In 2015, I moved to Anchorage and God was drawing me in. I missed the connection with the church. I was pregnant and would attend Unite Church for worship. My baby would dance inside my belly. I always felt at home while attending, but once again, I left the church. One day, I was at the mall, and this woman walked up to me and started prophesying. She said, there was darkness over my life, and I needed to get back to church. Shortly after, my sister-in-law called me. While I was explaining the prophecy, she said, I think God is trying to tell you to get back into the light. Would you like to go to church with us? I accepted the invitation came to church, and rededicated my life to Christ. Praise God. Prophecy out in the, in the mall. Because God speaks to you no matter where you are. You can't get away from God. Amen? Awesome. If you want to learn how to do it, sign up for Spirit Life next week. Okay. Um, I was recently baptized at Unite Church. While I was in the water, I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit as well as my prayer language. Jesus also healed my feet. I didn't even realize it until I got out of the water. Praise God. And now I believe in the light and hope of Jesus. I know the Lord sees my heart, and the fear has been broken, and the Lord is showing his face to me. Praise God. Let's give him a praise for that. Thank you, Jesus. He sees us. He knows us, and he wants to heal us. So... One more real quick. I wanted to share this one. This is from Shauna Springer. Thank you, Shauna, for submitting this. Um, I wanted to share a testimony from baptism the other week. For the past two years, I've been struggling with eczema. When it started, I began, it began on my face and neck and arms, and it came strong and suddenly. Seeking help and relief, I ended up being prescribed very expensive steroid creams for my skin. The cream didn't eliminate the eczema, but it would help to relieve the itching and pain. For the past two years, I've been asking the Lord to heal me and deliver me. Well, at Unite Church a couple of weeks ago, during the baptism, I wasn't planning to get in the water. But as the line got towards the end, the last few people, I felt a strong sense that I would regret it greatly if I left the church without getting in the water. I felt the Lord urging me. I didn't ask him any questions. I just trusted and obeyed him. When I went in the water, I wasn't asking for healing. I just wanted all that God had for me. I came home after the baptism, and as the week progressed, I noticed that I hadn't applied the steroid cream throughout the week, nor was I experiencing any symptoms of eczema. Praise God, yeah. 
It's now been a couple of weeks, and I can say that I have had no symptoms of eczema on my face, arms, necks ever since I went in the waters of baptism. Praise God. So just so you know, we're having a baptism service after church next week. And if you want to believe God for anything, because God can meet you in the waters of baptism for any reason, because it's, a, it's really a touch point. It's nothing magical about the water, but God wants to see your faith in action. And so it's very biblical. If you want more information on that, ask one of the pastors to explain a little bit more to you about baptism, your, your care pastors, um, your care leaders, or the pastors here on staff. We want you to meet with God. And so go ahead and register for baptism. The, that's on the, the, go ahead and scan the discs on the back of your seats, and you can register both of those. And thank you so much. Praise God. Give him one more, one more round of applause to God. Thank you, Jesus. Good to see you all today. Well, that's pretty exciting stuff. Thank you, the lovely Joni Tanner. I married that special girl 28 years ago. We celebrated our 28th anniversary just last week. And, well, thank you very much. It was great. So 28 years. We've been together 29-ish and some change, which is we're pushing on 30 years. That sounds like a lot of time. I don't feel that old always. Sometimes I do feel that old. Okay. Uh, what a great day. What a beautiful weekend we've had, right? Come on. It's been gorgeous. Thanks for being here and not at the fair. I'm so glad you're here and you're ready to worship Jesus. Um, and I want to encourage you, if you're thinking in any way and you have a stirring in your heart that you want to grow and you need a refresher or you're just like, man, I do feel a challenge to go deeper in the Word of God, join the foundry. The way, uh, Joan, I just want to really uh, honor Joni. She has done a phenomenal job putting the foundry together and building it over the years. It's amazing. And all the teachers, you guys make it run. You guys make it awesome. And there's so many dynamic teachers involved in the foundry. And this year's going to be really, really good. And it's going to be a really good growth year in your heart and soul and the foundation of your life. So I just want to encourage you that don't think that you're too old, you're too young, or you're too busy because we, we've structured the foundry specifically to work into your working life. It's only one night a week, and uh, it's very, very rich. And everybody that goes is so blessed and so thankful they went. So sign up, get in the foundry, and get growing. Amen? All right, so you can sign up after church outside, right? So outside, just go sign up, just make it happen. We made it super affordable so everybody can make it work. We're going to start a series on Thessalonians. We're going to do actually First and Second Thessalonians, and uh, we're going to wrap Second Thessalonians into First Thessalonians as we go. Cool? So it's going to be fun. Second Thessalonians is really a lot of a repeat. There's a lot of, like, refresher to the Thessalonian church about his first letter he wrote. So we decided we're going to just wrap all that up. We're going to go verse by verse. We're not going to skip anything, huh? And we're going to read what does the Bible say? And what did Paul say to this church in Thessalonica? Uh, Thessalonica. So uh, we're just doing a little bit of background here. I'm going to lay a little foundation for who was the church of Thessalonica and um, why did Paul write him a letter and, and what was going on here. So in Thessalonica, Thessalonica it was actually a Greek-founded city. And Alexander, one of his main uh, homies, that's commanders, okay, homie is 
the new term for commander. And okay, if you didn't know that. So one of Alexander, Alexander the Great, so he went and conquered all the known world and he went around and they, it was a huge uh, pre-event um, that I believe was a hand, by the hand of God to come around and actually modernize uh, the world and actually unify the world around the Greek language. And so the Greek language came about and was really uh, infiltrated all of these surrounding areas around uh, uh, the Mediterranean Sea. And so Alexander just went around, stomped everybody, but he brought, his whole goal was to bring culture and education and literature and revival and freedom actually was, I mean, maybe it wasn't that pure, but basically that's the result of his uh, natural ambitions. Okay, let's not over uh, make Alexander too awesome. But there was a sovereign divine uh, event that happened when Greek, when the Greeks came around. And uh, Thessalonica was a huge port uh, uh, metropolis. It, it had a ton of economy that came in and out. And in fact, there was a big Jewish community that formed inside of um, Thessalonica. And then the Romans took over all that. And so the Romans built industry and roads, and they also emphasized culture on top of what the Greeks had done. So this world in, uh, where the Thessalonian church was planted was a, was a very, it was a very awesome mixture of Jews, of Greeks, and of Roman culture. And when Paul shows up into this place, um, it, it's wealthy. So there's a ton of wealth and there's a ton of people that traveled in and out of this city. And there's people from all over the place. So it was a very powerful space. And there was a lot of important people and important things and important thought that was coming about in this little place, okay? And so the Thessalonian church is born in the midst of this. And it, it, Paul shows up into this region, he leaves Philippi, and he comes into this space um, kind of off of a pretty aggressive event, okay? So it was, Philippi was pretty aggressive uh, experience for Paul, and he shows up in the Thessalonian church, and Paul is like, he hits some really important things in this season of his life, and we actually find uh, a little part about when um, Thessalonians, when he, when he came to Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17. But we're, we're going to read that here in a second, and you'll see kind of the backdrop of what Paul was writing this, this, this letter to the Thessalonians about. But the primary themes around the book of Thessalonians is really about encouraging one another. So Paul says this to the church, and he's trying to get this church in the midst of this hugely culturally diverse and active and prosperous place. He's trying to get them to just get rooted and be able to grow and to stick together in the midst of all the chaos and all the worldly stuff going on. And so he's, he really emphasizes this, let's encourage one another to stick this thing out and to follow the Lord. And you'll see that theme. And he also has another theme about faith, hope, and love which we see all throughout Paul's writing, especially emphasized in the book of Corinthians chapter 13, right? 1 Corinthians 1, 13, one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. Faith, hope, and love. <clears throat> These are the three things that we see that God says will last forever, right? Well, this is a big emphasis in Thessalonians. And then through the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, through all believers, that we can live out these attributes even during difficult circumstances. So, the ability to work through and thrive even in the midst of suffering and chaos and cultural warfare. Sound relevant today? Amen. Yeah, that's a big deal. 
Uh, I just, I, I'm just going to use this as a point as we go. Just, my son goes to King Career Center. And so he just started. School just started. All my, my kids are all in public school right now. And um, anyway, so he sends me a text. He's like, Dad, he takes a little photo of uh, this wall at the preschool in King Career Center. At the preschool, there's a preschool, it's not the training, it is an actual preschool, early childhood development in this space, and it has this huge satanic symbol. I mean, a huge satanic poster. The occult, everything, and, uh, you know, of course, in all the schools now, there's all the LGBTQ stuff, which, which, okay, right? But this is a huge occult poster in the public school for early childhood development. That's in our school district, guys. And then it made it on the Anchorage. Uh, if you see Must Read Alaska, you guys should all get involved in Must Read Alaska. And, and Suzanne Downing is amazing. And so it, it, she's a really great reporter. You're going to get really honest, good truth. I'm not trying to plug her for any reason except that hearing the truth is good for us, right? We need to be involved and active in the midst of our community. And that's part of what we're going to see in the midst of this uh, church. And the letter to Paul, Paul's writing to the Thessalonians is, they're in the midst of the world. And even in Romans, he said, you know, and Corinthians, Paul emphasizes these types of thoughts is that you can't just remove yourself from the world. We have to remove ourselves from sin and, the, and the, the, the detriments of sin behavior, but we cannot remove ourselves from the world. That is not what God is calling the church to do. He's calling the church to be a light into the world. And he's, he's calling us to be the Christians that are going to King Career Center, you should be in there wreaking havoc. Students, if you're a teacher there, you should be walking by and praying in tongues and praying over that thing and praying that the Holy Spirit just invades and angels come down and just, just terrorize the witches or whatever that are running that flipping thing. We're called to be a light in the world. We're called to go in and transform or infiltrate and bring life and light into those spaces and every space into our workplaces and our families and our communities, our neighborhoods. But we need to be a praying church. The devil hates praying churches. And not just praying churches here, but praying churches everywhere we go. We are bringing the power and the work of the Holy Spirit, the presence of God in power to disrupt all of the culture, disrupt all of the chaos and all of the dysfunction that the enemy is trying to just, you know, wreak havoc on our world with, okay? So we're going to pray, and then we're going to start reading, we're going to dive in, and I'm going to do my best. How's that sound? That sounds like a pretty good combination of tries. So, Father, we love you today. Will you pray with me? We're going to be a praying church. Jesus, infiltrate our hearts, our lives. God, right now, will you show up in my life Shift me, change me, change the way I think, change the way that I behave. Lord, just correct all the weird stuff going on in me. Will you just correct all of the bad behaviors, the behaviors that are out of alignment? God, will you give me courage to overcome the things I'm afraid of so that I can be a light to your world today? I want to be a believer of good reputation. I want to be a believer that is effective. I want to be a believer that can change and influence the world around me, that my life would be significant, God, that my life would matter, that my family's existence would matter before you, and that this church would matter in this city and this state, God. Cause us to be affected by your love and effective with the power of your love and your Holy Spirit living in and through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, amen. All right, so here we go. So we're going to lay the backdrop. So 
Paul comes from Philippi, goes to Thessalonica, and then he gets all disrupted, and then he has to leave, and then he writes a letter back to the Thessalonians, and that's what we see the the book of Thessalonians in. But we're going to look at Acts chapter 17, and this is kind of how it all happened. So Acts 17, verse 1. 17, verse 1. Are we there? Oh, no, it's, it's coming. I see him working on it. Everybody just chill. I'll read. It'll show up. Paul and Silas then traveled through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia. Close, okay. I listened to it multiple times on my phone. That's how you get to know it. I didn't say it exactly right. I'm close. Okay. And came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. You see that? So when you have their Jews are present, and that's important in the context of when Paul's teaching. Because he's not just teaching to Greeks, he's not just teaching to Romans, he's teaching to a mixture. So he changes the way he communicates to make sure he can include everybody. Okay, as was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue, uh, synagogue service, for three Sabbaths in a row, he used the scriptures to reason with the people. See, he used the Old Testament scriptures, the Torah primarily, to reason with the people. He explained the prophecies and provided uh, that proved the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. Some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. So let's just look at that. These are the people that gave their life to Jesus when Paul was preaching to the Thessalonians. He goes in, and in three weeks, he converts a bunch of Jews, a whole bunch of Greek men, and prominent women, not, not average people. Some prominent people jump in the game, and he forms a church around these people in three weeks. Pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. But if you can imagine, that caused some problems. Jesus is a disruptor. The enemy hates when Jesus shows up all the time, every time. Do not imagine that you're not hated everywhere you go because of the love of Christ, because of the power of Jesus. You are destroying the enemy's uh, grip and you're destroying his strongholds on all the things that he wants and all of his power and that belongs to God. You're taking back the territory everywhere you go. You must be hated or you're not a believer. You don't truly carry the power of God and is, you're no threat to the enemy. When you love Jesus and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you are a serious threat. We're calling on the name of Jesus in this song. Jesus, Jesus, right? You make the darkness tremble. Come on, that's you and me. That's the church. God has called the church to be a powerful entity everywhere we go. And Paul shows up and people give their life to Jesus, Jews and Greeks and prominent men and women in these spaces. And guess what? The devil doesn't like it and people whose hearts aren't right don't like it. Verse five, but some Jews were jealous. Big surprise. People in power, when they lose power, don't they love it? They just love it. They're like, oh, yeah, no big deal. I'll just give up all the power so you can do the right thing. That's what we see all our politicians doing right now, isn't it? Oh, yeah, they're like, oh, this is the best for the people. Okay, this is called sarcasm, if you're wondering. And, and, and no, that is not what people in power do. 
And they're not all demonically influenced, but it is a demonic influence that motivates us. It's the nature of our father, uh, the father. If Satan is your father, I'm not the father guy, I'm getting close. The nature of Satan is to be jealous, to steal, kill, and destroy. The jealousy in his heart cause of God caused him to rebel against God to try to get all the praise and power. And that's when he got thumped and cast down and a third of the angels went with him. And those are what we call, the Bible calls demons. Referred to as demons. They were fallen angels. They have a certain scope and power and, uh, and authority now that has been stripped and removed, but they maintain it wherever the church has not come into play to reclaim that power and authority. So that's the only place they have. They know they have no, more, no longer any power and authority except when the church isn't present. Eh? So they get ticked, especially right here when Jesus shows up on the scene. This is 40 AD. This is not long after Jesus died on the cross and the Holy Spirit came. This is not long. We're talking a few years. And then the church is exploding and it's the first time the demons are being expelled from their strongholds. And they don't like it. And if you and I are naive enough to think that demons do not have strongholds in churches, we're living in a blindness that is dangerous. So when he goes into the synagogue where they had drifted away from worshiping and sacrificing appropriately, they turned it into like a marketplace, and they drifted away from the true scripture, and they added all these add-on things hundreds of laws and add-on laws to make it so complicated and that people could really never do it. And it also positioned them to be in power. If, if, if we think that church leadership is not as vulnerable as just any layer of leadership to falling away from the focus of Jesus being the, 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 the most prominent, important motivator and focus of all of our lives, fix our eyes on Jesus he is the author and the finisher of our faith. You don't start your walk with Jesus and then take your eyes off him and because you start getting successful and then it works out. This isn't how it works. In church leadership, in your personal life, in your business, whatever, you give your life to the Lord, you sacrifice, you give it up, and then he prospers and blesses you, and you start taking about kingdom darkness, you're taking it back, and, and then you maintain and you keep your eyes fixed on him, and then you finish, he is the finisher of the activation of your faith, all the way to the end. But if we lose that, then we tumble and fall and struggle, and we're like, why are we so stupid? Why do we fall away from Jesus? And we come back, like, this is all of us, Right? Somehow, we've, we have to relearn this lesson over and over. As churches, as people, you can look in the macrocosm and all the layers down to the smallest microcosm of this example, and it happens in our personal life all the way to our nation serving God or not. It happened in Israel, it happens in the synagogue, and in this synagogue, we had a bunch of people, they had a bunch of people that were jealous, and that means that their hearts were off track. They were not eagerly waiting and looking for the Messiah, they were holding their position of power and prominence. And when that got taken from them, they were jealous for a reason, because their heart was wrong. Listen, when we get jealous, you know instantly, ooh, something's wrong in me. Not them, like, ooh, something's wrong in me. Why am I jealous? My motives and my, my identity might be wrapped up in something else besides my eyes fixed on the King of Kings, on Jesus. The church can't be jealous, folks. 
The church is jealous for Jesus. We're jealous for a love relationship with him that no one can take away. You can't separate it. You can't break it. You can't take that away. So I should, honestly, I, we should never be jealous. When someone else is thriving and someone else is succeeding, we should be celebrating because the light of God is getting bigger and the kingdom of darkness is being pushed back. We're all on the same team. Right the, this is all Corinthians. This is Romans. That, that, that when I win, we all win. We're one body. The church is a body, and it's called and, and, and to thrive and celebrate together. But when jealousy comes up, we know the enemy has taken a piece of our heart. That's all free. Uh, so they gathered some troublemakers. They gathered some troublemakers. Look at that. Is it hard to find troublemakers? So when you have a group of people that say, hey, we all feel this about blah, blah, blah. Is that really anything? No, that's easy. That's dumb. You can always find something to criticize, be jealous of anything, and find plenty of troublemakers to join you in your fight. And you can start a mob and start a riot. This is what they did. They attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas. They could drag, him, uh, drag them out to the crowd. So, oh, they searched, searching for Paul and Silas, and uh, so they dragged them out to the crowd. I can read, I, I, I promise. Now, finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some of the other believers instead and took them before the city council. Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted, and now they're here disrupting our city too. And Jason was wel had welcomed them into his home, and they're all guilty of treason against Caesar. See how they're twisting all of this? They just preach that Jesus is the Messiah. But they say he's the king, and so they twist all that stuff. And um, they profess allegiance to another king. His name is Jesus. The people of the city, as well as the city council, were thrown into turmoil by these reports. So the officials forced Jason and the other believers to post bond, and then they released them. That very night, the believers sent Paul. He was only there three weeks. He planted a church in three weeks, and then he had to take Boogie out, right? Because the turmoil and everything was so bad. And so they sent him to Berea. When they arrived there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. The same thing he did in the last city. He goes and does it. He repeats, okay? And the people of Berea were more open-minded than those in Thessalonica. Huh. I wonder what happens. They listened eagerly to Paul's message. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if Paul and Silas were teaching the truth. As a result, many Jews believed, as did many of the prominent Greek men and women. Wow. Look at that. What do you think a healthy church of good reputation might do? More like the Bereans or the Thessalonians? Look at the result. Look at the differences. This huge explosion and peace and love explodes when people's hearts are willing to receive but not just trust everything. There's a difference than, oh, I know everything and I'm gonna be rebellious and jealousies in my heart versus I'm looking to search the scripture to know that it's true and I'm gonna weigh what you're saying as a leader or as a person telling me about who Jesus is with what I know to be true in the scripture. This principle still now applies today. And, and we as a healthy church ought to live this way. Do our best to preach kingdom. Boy, we check our hearts. If we feel jealousy, there should be, ooh, there's something going on in me. But I am open to receive not I know everything, right? So we're open to receive everything I can, and then I eat the hay, I chew on it, and then I spit out the sticks. And I just want to challenge us as we're going to 
dive into the word and we're going to go weeks and weeks of just diving into the scripture and we're going to go deep and we're going to pull up everything we can and everything we can get out of Thessalonians. And I want to encourage you that you just don't come from a position of pride that I already know everything. I don't know how many times I've read the book of Thessalonians or taught out of this, and I'm looking to learn. Like, I want to learn something. I want to, like, find new things, not just so I can look cool and you guys can laugh at me, okay? Um, those, are important, those are important things, okay? But I, I want this to be, I want to be fed. I want to grow, right? When, when Zach is teaching or another teacher is teaching, like, I want to learn. I want to learn something new, and I want to grow in my faith and not, oh, well, I already knew that. I agree with most of the things you said, Pastor, but I got two or three more things I want to tell you I don't agree with. Why don't you go to Thessalonia? Okay. <laughs> we'll stay in Berea, okay? Stay in Th- the Bereans are of more open-minded or more noble character, so don't be so scared to learn and so prideful that, oh, I already should know this. You went to Bible school? Great. Pretend like you didn't. Let's learn some stuff. Okay. They searched the scriptures day after day to see if the teaching was true. That's really the heart is, Lord, I'm open, I'm receiving. Holy Spirit, I trust you to help me filter all this. Okay? We let it all, we, we, we soak it all in, and then we let the Holy Spirit filter it out. All right. So here's 1 Thessalonians 1.1. We ready? We're going to dive in, and we're going to read as much as we can here. So this letter from Paul and, is from Paul and Silas and Timothy, we are writing to the church in Thessalonica, to you who belong to God and the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, may God give you grace and peace. So we have Paul, Silas, and Timothy who were in this space and had to boogie. And what happens is Silas and Timothy stay back for as long as they can to help form the church while Paul goes on to Berea. And then Paul writes this, Paul and Silas and Timothy write this letter back to the Thessalonians to help them keep be growing and strong. And he wants them to, be, to grow and be strong as a church and to encourage them to encourage one another and to focus on the fundamentals and the things that make a great church. And so that's what I want us to imagine is that Paul went away. The Holy Spirit sent Paul to write us a letter, the church at Unite, and say, hey, this is how I want to encourage your church to be strong and to be awesome and, and, and to grow and to thrive and to be effective in the world today, in a very similar culture to what the, Thess- the Thessalonians lived in. Okay. Holy smokes. All right. Verse two, we always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly. Think about good leaders. Good leaders are praying for their people always. So all the leaders in the house, all right, you're carrying some kind of leadership load, any layer. Want to be a healthy, good church? Pray for the people. Not just all the people in the city, but the people in our church. And we pray for you all the time, constantly. Our staff is praying. Pastors ought to be praying. And everybody, a healthy church has leaders that are praying for the people. Verse 3, as we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, who is the source of all loving deeds and faithful work, enduring hope? The Sunday school answer is Jesus. Okay, Jesus is the only source of life in the church. And if we go to 1 Corinthians 13, we 
another thing that Paul taught is that if you do not have love, all of your other deeds are a clanging symbol. They are worthless. They actually produce nothing in the kingdom. They might make us look good or feel prominent, be, feel important, but they are not producing real kingdom fruit. And that is the only thing we get a reward for. And that is the only thing that actually makes our church healthy and awesome. And I've heard many testimonies of people walking into our church and going, wow, I just feel loved and accepted. And that's not just me. I mean, they're not meeting me. They're walking in the door, and many of you have had that testimony. You're like, wow, this feels different. No one's even talked to me. The love is in the atmosphere. If your heart and spirit is towards other people, led by the love of the Holy Spirit, the love of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, it becomes tangible. It becomes real. It's in the space between us. And that love is being cast on people. Then when we encounter one another and when you are talking to other people and you're seeing them and loving them and knowing their name and encouraging them from the love of Jesus, this promotes something in the atmosphere that the Holy Spirit and God is so attracted to and the presence of God just swoops into the house. Swoops in all around wherever you're at and people feel and experience the power of that love in a very tangible way. Could there be a greater testimony about a church when he says, look, we pray about you and we think about your specific faithful work. Healthy churches work faithfully. That's work driven by faith and it's faithful work that we are intending to keep on and we're not just dropping our commitments as if this is just some side gig we're doing. Okay, I got this side gig. I'll help the pastors out because they kind of have a need. That produces no fruit in the kingdom. Faithful work is actually faith-driven work, which, as James says, is what I believe and what I do, driven from the Holy Spirit. Now, this produces kingdom life and a return in the kingdom, and it actually infiltrates and affects the atmosphere. So that's the kind of work that the, Theth <laughs> the Thessalonians, this is going to really get me the whole, I did not, maybe I should have picked Ephesians. No, we already did that one, I the Thessalonians were certainly having a suffering in this day and age. Okay, this faithful work was one of the parts of their reputation. And their loving deeds. These aren't complicated things. But they're so important. Church, this church was not a consuming church. They were born in the midst of chaos and trouble and they had to suffer and sacrifice to be uh to even exist and to serve jesus right off the bat and in a lot of ways that makes churches better it makes us better but our our church has sort of been like in, in the nation of america's we're born into liberty and freedom and all of this um it's been so easy to just be a christian and it has really turned into like hey i go to you know, I go to Walmart or I, I, I go to Kentucky Fried Chicken to eat or, you know, I go to Fred Meyer to go shop and I just kind of get the place I like when I like and I just go and I consume and then I leave. And that, that's not church, guys. Church is faithful work, loving deeds, and enduring hope in Jesus. And we all desperately need this, don't we? We're all desperate for this kind of love. And what gives a church a good reputation is when we are prominent in these core things 
and we want a good reputation. God wants us to have a good reputation. It's part of our call as a church to have a good reputation. Our testimony is vital to the world around us. They're faithful in the work, their loving deeds, enduring hope, motivated by the love of Jesus. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Three things will remain forever. Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Would there be a greater testimony, not only for the Thessalonians, but also for us as Unite Church, that love would be the greatest element or the greatest piece in our reputation? Verse 4. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. God loves you and he chose you. Ch chose, he has chosen you. He chooses you. Okay. We'll use real English, mostly. Somebody asked me, like, your vocabulary is very interesting. I go, yeah. <laughs> this is true. Because, <laughs> like, I mean, you like know big words. But then you kind of talk like a hillbilly, too. I'm like, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. I'm an educated hillbilly. Okay, there we go. <clears throat> God loves you and chooses you. And this is the key. Will we choose him back? Are we a church that chooses him back? God's the initiator in all relationships. He loves, we respond or we don't. Every church service, every week, you get a chance to, to, to respond to the initiation of God's love in your life. You wake up in the morning, the Holy Spirit shows up. I don't know about you, but when I wake up in the morning, I feel the Holy Spirit just hover over my bed, hover right, hover right over me, and I feel the Holy Spirit just say good morning to me every single day. And I have a chance to respond to that love or not. I'm like, ah, I'm a little too busy for you. I don't like what you made me do last week or yesterday. Or I don't use the airs. Lord, oh. And the beginning of every morning of mine is just this time where I just respond to the love of God and just love on him and just, just have a moment of relationship with the Holy Spirit. And God, I just love you. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. And will you fill me up today? Will you give me strength today? And God, help me to be full of your love. I want to be on point today. Forgive me for what I did yesterday. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, think, I repent for sin every day. Do you guys repent for sin every day? You should repent for sin every day. And don't think you didn't sin every day. Give me a break. A healthy church knows you blew it every day. Okay, so find something. I just know. I'm like, Lord, I mean, even stuff I didn't even know I did. I just, will you forgive me? And it's every little piece of my attitude. I just want all of it to be right before God. And I want to start my day right before him. But it is a response to the love of God coming towards me, not Josh being awesome. No, but I'm just responding to, Lord, you showed up with, you, your presence is here. How awesome is it that I belong to you and I'm one of your kids and you chose me and you love me. But God chooses you to be one of his own people. A healthy church knows they're chosen. They're picked. You're special. You were chosen to be on his team, to be in his family. But y'all, we, we are not, we, if we don't respond to this, choosing this, this initiation of love, then we don't belong. We're not truly in. But we have to, love relationship is really about this response and initiation. God chooses his people. 
we respond, and then we're adopted as sons and daughters, and that's how we become chosen people. He goes, hey, you, I want you to follow me. And, and you, follow, you start following, and then he's like, oh, now you're my chosen. Not that you don't have any decision, that you don't have any choice in the matter. Let's think about all the disciples. Jesus comes up, and he chose a whole bunch of people, right? And there's all kinds of disciples he picked, but the ones that he chose, he said, hey, come follow me. If they didn't follow him, would they be a chosen disciple? No, they were picked, and he initiated the love. But what completes the belonging in relationship is you say, yeah, you'll be my dad. I say, I want to adopt you. I want you to be my disciple. You go, yep, I'll be your disciple. Now you're my disciple because you chose and then you followed me. I want to adopt you as my kid. Hey, I want you to be my son. I want you to be my daughter. But then you don't sign the adoption papers. You don't choose me back. You don't take my name. This is how our love relationship with Jesus goes. This is what makes a healthy church is that the authenticity of love is rooted in choice. And we need to be a church as individuals, collective together, that chooses him daily, all the time, every time, in a love response. God, you picked me, and I want to respond back to you. Authentic or true love's value is defined and measured by the free will act of initiation and response. Authentic or true love, for it to really have Real value, it finds its value and it's defined and it's measured, it's weighed by the free will act of initiation and response. God free will act chooses us and we free will act choose him back. And that's what makes sonship. That's what makes you a child of God. And that act all the time is what causes a church to be alive and real. Not show up, worship, go through the motions, sing songs, whatever, listen to sermons. None of that stuff makes you a son or a daughter. What makes you a son or a daughter is when you choose Jesus. When we choose him, it makes it real. Without free will from, free will from God to initiate a love relationship with us, it would have no value. Without free will act and response from us back to him, it would be empty, hollow, and valueless deed. But it's a real response to him. God picked you for his family. Do you want him and do you want him back? Do you want to belong? Do you want to belong to his family? I want you to hear this. Galatians 3.13. We can just jump all the way to the end. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it is written in the scripture, cursed is everyone who was hung on a tree. Revelation 1-7, look, he comes with the clouds of heaven and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him and all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes and amen. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. I am the one who is and who was and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Revelation 1.17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. He laid his right hand on me and said, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am the living one. I died, but look, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and the grave. God is calling each one of us 
he is calling and, and drawing each one of us into a real and lasting love relationship with him. Church, he is not, you're like, I gave my life to Jesus a long time ago. When was the last time you poured out your heart in passion towards him that you would be a, that you would just be fully filled and effective for him and do everything and anything he wants you to do in your life, that you surrendered your whole life back again to him? gave up all your hopes and dreams and all of your stuff and just said, Jesus, whatever you want to do with me, I want to be a healthy and effective person in your kingdom, your church. Jesus built the family of the church to infiltrate the world, not for us to just kind of show up and it be like Zach was saying earlier, like a country club. This ain't no country club, folks. This is a war zone, that we live in a war zone and the enemy hates us and Jesus has all the power and Jesus has filled us with all the power and given us all the authority to take back all of what the enemy has stolen from him. People that are caught and lost in darkness need your love. They need the power of God moving in and through your life so that they can experience his love and belonging. We are all chosen. God doesn't desire that any would be lost. When he's the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, he is wanting this experience with every single person that, he, that, is, that is made or created on the planet. And he desires for all to choose him back. But listen, y'all, we need to choose him back. There needs to be a serious adoption ceremony. And we have to fall back in love as a church with him being our father and us being his sons and daughters, his kids. And no matter where you've been at in your walk with the Lord, I'm encouraging you today. This is a day and hour where it is no, it, there is no time to just rest and hope other people do the work you were called to do and that it all works out. It's not how it goes, guys. God wants a powerful church that is rising up and infiltrating this world. And he wants you. He cares about you individually. You as a person, you individually. It is not this big, huge, like, oh, I wanna have, he doesn't just see everybody as a big crowd so he can feel important. He sees you individually as a person. He died specifically for you. Your face was in his eyes when he gave his life on the cross. He's fully God. He can think about all people at all time that will ever exist. And he died for you and he gave it up just for you so you could be in a love relationship with him. And he wants to see others in that space too. But this is a partnership. In God's family, we, we fall in love with faithful work, service, church. Serve hard, faithfully from a position of faith. We love big, where it's undeniable what God is doing in and through our life and that we are loving in a sacrificial kind of way where people could never doubt that only the love of God could be the reason this person reached out to me and loved me in this way. And that when they get around the church, they find enduring hope, hope that lasts forever. Faith, hope, and love. But faith, guys, is service. It's not sit. Hello. And I love y'all. It's good. We're all in a process. Faithful service. A healthy church, 100% of everybody who loves Jesus ought to be serving somewhere. Not in the place you think is best, but the place that adds the most value. 
and we'll grow to the cool stuff, but we have to be faithful with the little stuff and what we can do now till we grow into the fun, cool stuff that maybe is the most fun for you to be a part of and do. But let's not think about ourselves anymore. Let's die and abandon that. We're just gonna love and we're gonna serve big where there's just, the, the church is just so thriving because we're serving and giving and loving and causing people to find hope for their life. Like when, when we hear these testimonies about people getting healed in the waters of baptism, you're like, I could get healed. Someone I know could get healed. That's hope for our life. But it took someone a lot of time to pour all the water into that 15,000 gallon tank to pray over it and to try to get it warm, which is harder than you would think. That's faithful work for an enduring hope. God's called us all to this space, guys. So this is the challenge today, is that we fall in love with Jesus again as if it was our first time. And then the next day we wake up and we fall in love with him again, and again and again and again, until our church is so amazing and so full of love that no one who walks in the door could ever resist the power and the love of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.